Hi, you found Wisdom Radio, and this is your host, Andy Haidt. I have Marie-Rose Fonlay on the show today, and she is a trailblazer, a filmmaker, spiritual explorer, and an author who's traveled the world in search of sacred traditions. Traditions and healing secrets, really, that are sadly disappearing with the passing of community elders and, of course, the destruction of sensitive indigenous homelands. Marie Rose has traveled to Peru, Hawaii, Vietnam, Nepal, India, and China, and there she has documented local healing practices in hopes of preserving some of these ancient traditions. So I wanted to ask you first to tell us a little bit about this tradition of talking story. Yeah, in Hawaii, where I now live, um, when you invite someone to come over and visit, you say, come over, let's talk story. And the idea of talking story, I think, is has become even more important now because it's about sharing and it's about um, taking time to be present with each other. It's about, you know, not having an out time where you have to leave. It's, it's really just coming over and lingering and being with good company and I think it's something that is traditional here, but is particularly important for us to hold on to maybe in our fast world. Well, I just love the idea. That's the name of your book, Talking Story. And um, the idea of not having an agenda per se, and just lingering, turning off your cell phone, relaxing. So that's what we're going to do for the next 30 or 40 minutes as we talk story about some of the some of your adventures, your global adventures, and what you're learning that you find um, just so heartwarming um, about the traditions that you're learning about. Yeah, I think what I'm learning is that the traditions are, are inclusive, first of all. Um, there's not a my way or the highway kind of attitude in terms of practices or beliefs, and that they are universal. Um, I've found that as I've traveled around, there are commonalities that also apply to our modern world. So they're not this romantic practice that was, uh, you know, created in an old time and that's where it needs to stay, um, but that they're quite relevant in what we are all facing today. I'm, I'm curious, too, you're a young woman. What... Um... What inspired you to explore these wise ways and these uh, indigenous traditions? Well, you know, I, I believe that I'm Vietnamese and uh, had to flee my home country at a young age due to war. So I think there's a little bit of that idea of um, loss of tradition, mm. loss of culture, loss of language, if you, if you want to put it that way. And also, you know, my... My family lineage is um, my great-grandfather was a seer. He was a blind man who could see the, the past and the future for others. And, and then my mother channeled her healing or mystical abilities into uh, a way that was more acceptable in Western culture. She became a nurse. Um, so I was raised with this idea of, you know, there's the Western way, which has its benefits, and then there's the traditional way, which has its benefits. So I felt very blessed to have this meeting of East, East meets West for my own well-being. And so I felt mm-hmm. like I realized that when I went out in the world and was, was hanging out with my friends, I found out that they didn't have that kind of um, holistic approach to their health and healing. And I felt like it was important 
to share that with others. Wow, I'm just in, in awe of how you came through such adversity. And here you are, um, just doing such wonderful things in the world. So kudos oh. to you. Thank you. Well, I had a lot of help. Definitely had an amazing mother, um, great siblings, a lot of family support. And also, I've been blessed to be welcomed and accepted into this great country, the United States, where the American dream still exists. And I feel like I'm living it, you know. Oh, that's so, great. so very blessed on many levels. And therefore, the need to, um, to share those blessings with others is just pretty compelling for me. Yeah, it seems as though you are driven that way. So let's talk about some of the um, these wise traditions. Maybe you could tell us a story about something amazing that you've seen that almost disappeared but didn't or something like that. Well, um, one of the examples, I met a shaman in um, Peru who, interestingly enough, introduced himself as a retired shaman and that he no longer was practicing the healing arts. But then I found out that he was teaching painting to um, displaced children, um, and he was using art as a way to teach them pride about their own culture. And he would then take them into the rainforest and talk to them about the medicinal value of the plants and, you know, the actual botany. And so he was combining this world of science and world of spirituality and I looked at him and I said, well, you didn't actually retire at all. You basically just funneled your practice into another area. And he just smiled and looked at me. But the, the great story about that is that he showed me that even if we can't prevent this rainforest from being destroyed and we can't stop the elders from passing on, or as they say here in Hawaii, changing address, um, we can transform the gift of wisdom into other forms. And so he did it through painting, and my hope was that I could do it through film and through the book. Wow. And, of course, his, you know, inspiring all of the young people as well is so powerful. Yes, and and giving them another way to express and appreciate their own culture, even if it may be disappearing in front of their eyes. Yeah, it's so sad. You know, I, I mean, I think about this country, too. We once had lots and lots of trees that uh, were taken down, but I guess we, a lot of them have grown back. So that is the one thing that's inspiring about about life is that it's restorative and it does come back. And maybe you've even seen that in your homeland. Yeah, I mean, I actually, that's beautiful you asked, because I returned to Vietnam as part of this project uh, to try to find some of the indigenous healing practices there um, and, you know, it was the first time I went back after fleeing the war. And so to find the resilience of the Vietnamese people and, you know, the forest after all that, uh, you know, the, the war and yeah. mm-hmm. the foliage that were sprayed. And, um, granted, nothing was unscathed. I mean, the wounds were there. But people kept moving on, you know, and that was really inspiring. And I hope that that's uh, some of the spirit of, of resilience that, that I have in my own DNA from that experience. Sure, because the spirit is uh, everlasting and you can't stomp it out. You can't. It just keeps going, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that was my lesson when I first said, all right, you know, anybody who's younger and thinks we're going to change the world, 
um, has a certain idea about that and, and maybe a certain hubris and arrogance, if you will. Um, and what I learned very quickly after meeting teachers and healers that were much wiser than me um, is that you don't necessarily need to stop change. In fact, you shouldn't. But you need to find a way to be malleable. And so the spirit of life is malleable. It finds different forms. You know, if we dam it up in one area, it'll shift and move into something else. So that's one of the greatest gifts they gave to me that, you know, this doesn't have to be tragic. It's definitely not something that's joyful to witness or to experience, but it's something that we can transform, um, you know, death into life and, and transform into something new. Are there common threads running through these different cultures um, with regard to healing practices? Well, I think the, the, the most overriding um, element is that there's no separation between, you know, mind, body, spirit. The psyche, the emotions, the physical being are all interconnected, and, and I know this isn't new, particularly to your listeners, um, but it, it, it's all treated in equal measure, and it's all respected in equal measure. Um, and so when we are fragmented, which many of us are when we're living in modern culture, that's the opening for the state of dis-ease. So I've found that one of the common things in all these traditions were that, you know, healthy spirit, healthy body, healthy mind all go hand in hand and should all be, you know, treated with equal care. I think that is so true. I mean, sometimes you fall and you hurt yourself. And, yes. you know, but still, there are things probably that a healer would do energetically to encourage the healing process. Is that kind of what you're yes. saying? Yes. I mean, um, I think I do make a distinction between healing and curative. Um, and so what I've found in meeting with these healers is that the, I, the concept of healing is much more expansive. It's not... Uh, just cause and effect in terms of, you know, I'm only healed if the bone heals perfectly. Or it, it's um, curative means you can just cure the illness, which is fine and also wonderful when it happens. But healing tends to bring on a deeper level of healing, not to the physicality, but to the other aspects of self, which sometimes means a delay in physical healing. I don't know if that is clear in terms of Sometimes an, a physical illness will be delayed in order for the rest of our aspects, the spirit, the emotions, the psyche, to catch up so that they can meet at the place of healing. I have witnessed a few people in my family pass away, or my mother right now is in the process of, of passing away, and I've seen great healing in many aspects of her person that has been very... Um, beautiful, you know, in these yeah. final in these final stages of life, it almost seems like there's a whole new thing happening for her. That's really beautiful that she is choosing to go through that, and that you're there to witness it. Because not everybody has the awareness that with every illness is an opportunity not only to cure the disease but to heal 
the things that may be connected with that in our other in the various aspects of self in the whole being. So uh, this is sometimes people say, "Well, I went to a healer and it didn't work." And I think, "Well, what has changed in your life since then?" And and people may list, "I learned this, I, I healed a relationship, this happened, and I may still have the physical ailment, but that will pass when." The things that are connected to that ailment are clearing as well. And dying, you know, I, I think that's one of the things I've found that some people in the process of changing address, as they say here in Hawaii, we don't die, we change address, we go somewhere else. In that process of transformation, there are so many opportunities to let go of old baggage and letting go of things that we may have collected along this life uh, journey that we no longer need in the next phase of it. And when people take advantage of that and they have a little time, um, it's a very beautiful thing to experience and to witness. It doesn't mean that suffering doesn't come with it, and I don't want to, you know, kind of say that, oh, it's a joyful process to die or to observe someone you love dying. There's pain and there's suffering, but there's also this opportunity for peace, joy, and healing to emerge. Yes. Do you... Do many of the indigenous um, individuals that you spent time with, do they believe in the concept of reincarnation? Um, Is that something that's common, or is there a sense that this is the one life? Um, I I want to say that I think that's a bit of an assumption um, uh, sometimes when I speak to my, my friends in the West that every indigenous culture believes in you know, maybe karma or reincarnation, that's not necessarily true. Um, and for some cultures, the here and now is the most important thing. So why would I even worry about past or future lives when I've got plenty of work here? Um, and so, But clearly the Eastern cultures, the Eastern religions, um, have that common thread of, of reincarnation, multiple lives, and... Um, kind of the beautiful opportunity for us to do it better <laughs> another mm-hmm. time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that really is is inconsequential in this conversation, but I was just curious, you know, about, because yeah, I, think, no, I think sometimes in the context of healing, that maybe for this life we uh, had a purpose or a mission at, at some cosmic level that maybe we can't quite understand, but when, we, when that healing takes place, we recognize it. In ourselves, yes, yes, and even in terms of if a, if if a certain tradition doesn't hold that we come back, you know, as an as another human, um, they do all hold that the spirit goes on. Where it goes and how it goes isn't always defined in the same way. So, in answer to your question, I guess it's yes and no. <laughs> okay, um, how are they are, uh, tapping into the uh, intuitive wisdom? Uh, of the either the ones who have passed on or the universal mind is that something that you see yes yes absolutely that's definitely something that i was taught and that i did see over and over again that there is a greater mind however you want to name it whether it's god the universe the cosmos and the the people that i've come in contact with all share that belief that there is a greater force that interacts with us. So it's not so much that we are uh, you know, at the foot of this force begging or 
pleading or hoping and wishing, but that we're actually in participation with it and in dialogue, we are actually talking story with it. And that greater force moves through us and with us. And the more that we're in connection to it, the more well-balanced we feel, the healthier we feel, the more whole we feel. And that's you're beautiful. right, that, that is something very, that is a common thread. In these community, in these communities where you have an elder, you have a medicine person, uh, a healer, and then you have everybody else, do you see a big distinction between them? What is what are the biggest distinctions? Is it just that that person has more time to connect and make it their business to connect? Or do you think they have some special gift? I think it's a combination. Um, definitely, they are the ones who are chosen or have been designated or have shown to have greater intuitive abilities or greater healing abilities, therefore they hold the position that they have. However, um, unlike the romanticized version of it, many of these people also have what are called day jobs. So along with being responsible for the well-being of the community, they also have to do their daily chores. They have to farm their land. They, They have to do their human work, if you will, so they don't get to just live on a pillow floating above the rest of the villagers, they're on the farm, they're in the trenches, and then they have the added responsibility of the healing and the leadership and the mediation, all the things that their role requires of them. And so I think that was something that allowed me to have even greater respect because it's not as if they are some kind of rock star in their village. They are responsible, and in a way the village has an ownership of them, if you will. I mean that in, in terms of enslavement, but they, you know, they have claim to their healer, and the healer has a great amount of responsibility. So it's not, it's a position of respect, but I would say not necessarily one of privilege in okay. the human sense. Um, it's so. definitely seen as a privilege to be able to communicate with spirit, the universe, the greater forces, the God force. Um, by the healer, but it's not a, a sense of human privilege, if you will. Do you think it's passed down from generation to generation more than it is an innate talent? You know, it, it is, uh, there is, of course, a tradition of lineage because people will say, um, you know, if, if, if things tend to run in family. So even if you were a talented artist, um, maybe your parents were artists and so are your children. So talent seems to run through family lineage. And so in these traditions, many of them are through the family line. And it's believed that with each generation, the knowledge and the practices and the power become exponentially powerful because they've gone through space and time in an unbroken line. Um, But what we see happening now, of course, is with modernity and, and globalization and the kind of things that are happening in our world, these lines are getting broken. And so, um, like we were talking about, the force of life adapts. And so now the knowledge has to break out of the line and go into other families and in, into other hands. And um, for some people, that's a sad thing. And for others, it means a greater spreading of the gift and the greater spreading of the knowledge. And we can see there's the tragedy of what's happened in Tibet. However, without that, you know, the Tibetan diaspora would not have spread as clearly, nor have 
nor with the, the Buddhist traditions that came with them. Hmm. Do you think that there is a greater uh, growth in consciousness globally? Have you seen that in the amount of time that you have been out there? Just do you sense it? I sense it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely feel, um, you know, clearly we have a community, a collective of people who want better, if you will, who want us to make that leap from the reptilian brain that is just about my own survival, my own clan, my me, me, and to have to understand using our higher brain functions and our greater consciousness to understand that we are part of a collective, which is not just a human collective, right? It's, it includes the, the plant world and the animal world. And so I feel that on the one hand, we are having more dialogue. We are having more people committed to awakening and being change agents. And yet there is a reality of the challenges that we're facing now. We have Oh, you know, the war, war didn't end when I left my country. And, and so we're challenged. I think that the dark and the light are definitely more expressing more clearly now. And so... You, I have a question about that. Do you think the, uh, the dark, as you say, um, the dark runs through the Star Wars uh, trilogy? It, it is in the Lord of the Rings. You know, just this idea of uh, Harry Potter, you know, the light and the dark force. Yes. Yes. Do you think the dark is a force, as in an evil force, or do you think the dark is more this reptilian brain that you're talking about in just an absence of light? Hmm. I'm going to say both, which is kind of hedging. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> because one can say that the darkness is an absence of light, but if we keep adding to that void with fear or with harmful thoughts or um, negativity, if you will, it becomes its own living force. Anything that we fertilize and water and nurture begins to have a force. It begins to be infused with our our life force. So, um, so one can say, well, I went into the room, it was dark, I couldn't turn the lights on, but then there was empty space. But then I sat in there and I started thinking about all the, the things that might kill me or the, the ghosts that might come after me, then I infuse that dark space with energy. So that's where in my, and this is just my experience of it, that absence of light can then be infused with dark, with additional, infused with additional life of its own. So then the opposite is true, and we have yeah. to... I mean, it's not completely just dismissing all of the negative things that happen, but it's really more about a shift of how you perceive them or how you receive them and what you do with that information? Yes, absolutely. I love that, what you said in terms of how you perceive and receive and, and, how, and how we dance with it, how, how do we choose to face it. And um, I think that's one of the things that some um, people who call themselves realists get upset with people like us who um, are working to be change agents in the world, they kind of see us as only seeing the positive or only wanting to see the world in a certain way. And I think there's a difference between holding a vision for what things could be than ignoring what is. And I think 
we have to do both. And I do think that what I learned from my teachers is how do we embrace the duality that exists here in this plane? So how do we traverse between the dark and the light and move through that with grace rather than choosing one side or the other? Because, you know, we are human and we came here to learn certain things and therefore we'll still have that kind of duality always pushing us forward. And so if we can embrace these these apparent opposites, which they're rarely true opposites, they're usually along a spectrum of the same energy field. Um, then I think that's, you know, we're doing our work. So mm. so learning to traverse versus just avoiding or being afraid yeah. of. So when you're, yeah. you consider yourself a change agent, let's say um, you're among the light workers, um, have you had situations that have given you pause that you've had to really go back to those teachings and, and say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to do something else. I would say it happens multiple times on a daily basis. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. think about it. You're, you know, you're, you're driving through traffic and you're thinking you're all spiritual and someone cuts you off. And oh, that, yeah. that moment when the reptilian brain says, oh, oh get out of my lane. And then we have to, pause and go into a different gear within ourselves so it's a constant practice from the child of war you know you, oh, you come oh, into this world you come into this world with a, a bit of ptsd if you oh will. My God, I can't <laughs> so there's a you know there's a little bit of a trigger mm-hmm. at the reptilian brain inside me and i think that's one of the things that i think is really important in that being on the spiritual path is not a promise of a trouble-free, suffering-free life where, oh, you just get everything you want. It doesn't mean you can't, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is how do you bring grace to challenging moments? How do you bring grace when someone's just bugging the heck out of you? How do you bring grace when someone's hurting seriously somebody you love, killing the people that you love or the plants or the places and that's, yeah. that's where the test of the teachings comes in. Mm, absolutely. Well, do, do you have uh, any concerns of, of those types of people that um, would rather that this information not be out there? Have you encountered that? Um, yes. And I, I, I hearken back to what um, ethnobotanist and author Wade Davis says. He calls it ethnocide. And he labeled it in a conscious or willing killing off of a culture. I mean, when I read that and heard him speak of it, I thought, wow, there are people out there who are intentionally trying to wipe out a people. And I know that sounds kind of no, idealistic because, I mean, I was right. born into war. That's what people do in war. And, you know, it's not so long ago that we, we had the, you know, the concentration camps. So, but there's something in my mind that still has a very hard time accepting that, you know, you actually are trying to wipe out an entire culture just because you want more money or, well, and again, it's usually based in fear. In other words, why do I ever covet what someone else has is because I'm afraid I'm not going to have it. You know, that, that the joke right now on social media is FOMO, fear of missing out. So if I have fear of missing out on the gold or fear of missing out on the, the sugar cane or fear of missing out on the wood, the lumber, then I'm going to go get yours. And 
again, that's a reptilian brain. Sure. Mm, you know, lower consciousness, if you will. I don't like to use. Uh, yeah. I would just say, you know, just more more of a less mature consciousness. Let's put it that way. So, for those of us who want to support um, the flourishing of indigenous culture cultures and a preservation of this wisdom in the world. Um, help us understand some of the things we could do, such as uh, buying products with um, certain... I've seen those products with a little frog on it for the rainforest action, you know, the, to preserve, help preserve the uh, these environments where that are so important for the indigenous um, cultures. Yeah, I think... I also think because some people believe that if they go there, it would be beneficial. Sometimes it's to refrain from going there. In other words, the more people that go there, the more harm may be done. So I always say do your research and check your intentions. You know, why are you doing what you're doing? And follow the thread. If something says it's organic or says that it's it's helping these people, then don't just take the label's word for it. Make sure the people are getting the funds for it. Um, and I'm not uh, an activist per se, and and I don't necessarily see myself as a change agent. I hope to be a change agent. So it's something I'm not even sure if it's happening, but it's my hope to be that of service to others. And so the only way I need to do it is because I'm a creative, and so I can write books and I can make movies. That's one of the you know the, those are the ways that I know to help. I right. I, I can't practice law to save land in the rainforest. Well, that's I right. I mean, everybody has a, a thing that they're really good at. And I think you're focusing yeah. on education and inspiration. And I think that's, uh, that's great, because there's a yeah. lot of people who will then take that and run with it. Um, in yeah. whatever, you know, maybe that's what I hope. Yeah, I hope that they take it and run with it with what with what their bailiwick is. You know, right. if you're an orator, speak of it. If you're a musician, write a song. Um, if you are a very conscious traveler, then travel. Um, if you are an amazing attorney, you know, see what the, the legal aspects are that can help. Um, and so that that's exactly right. My hope is that these stories will not, rather than discourage, but encourage and inspire people to care, um, not about these exotic others, but about a fellow being in our collective, in our collective human family. Yes, and and one that has wisdom that is so important for us to hold on to. Um, yeah. So I think that's something that cannot be underemphasized. Yes, exactly. I mean, every time we, you know, we have the disappearance of a practice, a tradition, a language, um, I mean, we're losing another song in our collective, you know. Our, our collective musical album, or as I say, I really want us to have as many choices as possible in our collective medicine cabinet, you know, sure. and so, you know, we just want to make sure, if you're going to eliminate that, don't you want to make sure, you, you know, it's not a benefit to you first, because we will, I'll go ahead and work with the reptilian brain if I have to, <laughs> you know, yeah. you start there, and don't you want access to this medicine, and then do we want others right. to have well? And when I say medicine, I don't mean just plants and and healing uh, substances, but I also mean you know 
the stories, the, the stories, and the, the just the way of living. Yes, and the transmission. You know, so if people want to learn more and read these stories and see some of your work, where can they find that? Well, the easiest place is on my website, talkingstorybook.com. And on that website, you can find all my social media links, my upcoming events, how to order the book. Um, it's the one-stop place where everything is held there. And from there, you can travel to different areas of information if you like. But if you just wanted to go to one place, talkingstorybook.com is pretty comprehensive. Well, that's fantastic. Marie Rose, I want to express my personal gratitude for the work that you're doing in the world. And I wish you the best and continued success in doing it. Thank you. And, and back to you. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful that you're allowing us to share our stories and um, to encourage others to do good works. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Well, we will check back in with you soon to see what's up with your life and what you're finding out. Great. I look forward to take good care. Okay, thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. What a delight. That is um, my guest today, Marie Rose Fonley, and uh, her book again, Talking Story. So I'll have that information up on the web at wisdomradio.org, where you can find the link to her book and also her story and this and other podcasts. Be sure while you're on there to sign up for my newsletter so I can keep you in the loop about all shows and guests. I'd like to leave you with a reading today. All of the readings at the end of the shows are on the wisdomradio.org website under Wise Words. And that's a section I hope to build out with other contributors as well. Remember who you are. Reawaken your connection to the earth to the rivers, to the rhythm of life. If you have no trees or water nearby, look no farther than your own body to help you remember. In quietness, feel your blood flow and remember you're like a river opening to the sea. Feel your heartbeat as the tides pound upon the shore. Feel the weight of gravity pull you towards the earth to the mother of all and remember your love for her. Let this awareness ground you, heal you, connect you to the oneness of all that exists on earth and beyond.